0: Hello and welcome to Keanu Club. Like a cool breeze over the mountains, this is episode 18, American Playhouse Life Underwater from 1989. I'm Mike Manzi.
1: And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us, one of our very special guests, Zach Design. Hello, Zach. Hello. How are you doing? I can't complain. So this was, I was going to say this movie, but it's not even a movie. So American Playhouse, according to Wikipedia, American Playhouse was a, an anthology television series periodically broadcast by PBS in the United States. This TV show was something that I had never heard of before we started doing Keanu Club. And this was one that I don't think you picked originally, but you had some last minute conflict on a previous one. So we sort of threw you into this one, I think. Yeah. Um, had you ever heard of American Playhouse before we started doing this? No, but I, I kind of instinctively
2: understood what it was, so maybe somewhere in my psyche I had, had heard of it.
1: It's basically, from what I gather, either like playwrights or other people adapt plays... The, the screenplay for this is written by the guy who wrote the play this is based on, and he adapted it for what amounts to be an hour worth of television.
2: Well, I, um, the thing that I noticed mostly that I was taking notes about it was just like it does very clearly read like an adapted play. The, the, the way they talk is very pattery. Oh my God. It's very mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit stilted in a way that, that often uh, straight plays are on stage and reads very well in, in the theater, but not necessarily on film.
0: Yeah, I had the exact same note.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and there are also little things that you notice, like, oh, in a play, like, they will always reference the children, but never, like, they show them, like, far off in the distance. And, like, they use this children as an excuse to leave the scene, but they'll never actually be, like, a major part of it, which is totally, like, a thing that would happen in the theater. Well,
1: because, like, there's really only about, I would say, three sets, maybe, in this entire hour. There's the restaurant. There is the mom's house and then there's like this beach house and that's pretty much it. I mean there's some variations within them but it's as pretty much as streamlined a TV show as can possibly be unless you go to the extent of like a bottle episode or something.
2: And my guess is that's probably them complicating it even further because on stage I feel like a lot of this action could just happen Mm -hmm. on like two halves of a mostly blank stage. It feels almost a Beckett-ish in that respect.
0: Yeah, it's very minimal. They get by in this movie with the absolute minimum that they need. And, and they do get by, but you're right. It almost feels like this entire play could take place on the beach, that we don't even need to go indoors at times, even though right. we do.
2: Yeah, it's more just about their their interpersonal relationships than anything.
1: And what's kind of interesting, I, I messaged Mike while I was watching this, and I said, this is weird and kind of a good way. And then by the end of it, I sort of changed my mind. that like, I'm not really a fan of this. Mm-hmm. It's interesting enough, like, the idea of what American Playhouse is is interesting to me. Like, I think that there's probably some other episodes of the show that I would really, really enjoy. Yeah. So this one was written by Richard Greenberg, who apparently has more than 25 plays to his name. This was his second play that he wrote. I think he wrote it in, like, 86-ish and then adapted it a couple years later for this. I just don't think this is very interesting. It's appa- apparently, this guy is known for the malaise of the middle class, and just, you know, <laughs> he writes these, like, quote unquote, funny things about the problems that the middle class have. Yeah, And it's just all basically like first world problems, the play. <laughs> and it's just, like, I don't care about anything going on here.
2: Yeah, he's very Jonathan Franzen esque, like that.
0: I got kind of like a pretentiousness off of this material that rubbed me a little bit of the wrong way. I almost feel like I would have enjoyed it more if I saw it on stage than the way that it came out on video. It's just a lot of loafing about, doing a lot of nothing and trying to find my way in the world and what I really stand for. And I think that's kind of something this was going for, but I'm not even entirely sure by the end of this what exactly is going on.
2: Well, certain actors seem to have a better time with the stiltedness of the language than Keanu, for sure. He was definitely struggling.
3: I must have walked 20 miles. I kept looking for a refuge. I recognized every house, everybody in every house. They were all members of the club. Which club? Whichever. I don't know you. I'm visiting. Good. Oh, God, I'm in no condition to face what I have to face. What's that? Poverty. I'm penniless, and I'm trying to make it to the city. Do you have work? That depends. I'll do anything. I'll mow your lawn. There is no lawn. Why can't you just go home and get money? Never. I can't even go in the vicinity of that place again. I'm not very resourceful. This was a whim, and I've got to stick to it, or I'm dead. Yeah, finished.
1: I don't want to make fun of this too much because I think it's sort of the point why they're named this. Right. But, you know, at the end of the movie, when Keanu's talking to his mom about these two girls that he met, I can't tell you their names. You'll laugh at me. <laughs> and we find out that they're Amy Joy and Amy Beth, yeah. which is the worst. But I think <laughs> that they, the two of them work really well in this world. Mm, it yeah. sort of feels like, like I haven't watched a lot of Sex in the City, but it feels like. This is sort of sex in the city. It's sort of that kind of vibe, at least really early on in the movie, where instead of talking about like men and sex, they're just talking about like escaping their problems in the Hamptons.
0: Well, I think we should mention that one of the girls in this play is Sarah Jessica Parker from Sex in the City. I don't think we mentioned right that. which is which is makes yeah. it even <laughs> doubly as much Sex in the City.
1: I sort of meant to bring up that point. Like that was the whole reason I referenced Sex in the City.
0: <laughs> but like it sort of seems like Carrie
1: Bradshaw, a younger Carrie Bradshaw, just up in the Hamptons dealing with some kind of
0: mental issue i guess
2: yeah she she got into self-mutilation from some sort of self-loathing jesus Yeah. yeah that's
0: that's something about this the structure of this play that i didn't quite like was how information is sort of revealed especially about her character they play it extremely coy and close to the vest it's sort of like a struggle and it's keanu's mission to sort of understand why sarah jessica parker is acting the way she is and why her friend is someone who's just kind of like mean-spirited but like a really good friend to Sarah Jessica Parker even though she's not a very good person. I don't know I didn't really think that it should have been such a mystery. Maybe we've been watching a lot of this after school special lifetime type stuff <laughs> that I was like okay yeah she's clearly disturbed she's from she just left like a mental ward so that's all I really needed to know and I, I got that immediately. I, I just felt like it's a, it's a level that the movie didn't tr- need to try and go for it was kind of obvious to us.
2: Well, to me, it just kind of got revealed a little too early. Like, once that happened, like, the rest of the play, movie,
1: whatever, I was kind of like, all right, now what? Yeah, I can see both of your points. I think that that is sort of the thing that they're building toward. But also, at the same time, I don't really care. And maybe, like, we're (laughs) supposed to care. Like, doing this kind of podcast puts me in a weird headspace where, like, I really only care about what Keanu's doing, even though I'm supposed to care about Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm. Like, she's the star of this. She's the one at the emotional center. But at the same time, I don't know, because like, it's really the only interesting thing going on, because the mom's relationship with her lover or whatever, like that is the worst yeah. thing I think we've seen maybe of <laughs> anything that we've done in Keanu yeah. Club so far. Like, I don't know what they're doing. I don't care what they're doing. It's just all around awful. Yeah, yeah that
0: was I got another Prince of Pennsylvania flashback with the mom having the affair. And the guy bothered me because he looks so much like Peter Weller, but it wasn't robocop yeah. and every time he came up on screen it just i couldn't disassociate him with peter weller so i just kept calling him not robocop the whole movie but <laughs> i kind of yeah hated that stuff i, I just mean i didn't think like... they're supposed to i mean yeah, they,
2: they were supposed to be like the epitome of obnoxious upper crustiness like, uh, the whole thing about T. roses just was so obnoxious but the, kind of in a good yeah. way
0: yeah, and the, and the one thing about that guy that I, I was like, okay, he's clearly going through this midlife crisis. He's got a red sports car. He's doing one arm push ups. I'm like, he thinks he's Nick Cage or something. is so <laughs> up with him?
2: If you want to talk about Nick Cage, something I got from this was that in from Keanu's performance is that he seems to be in some ways the anti Nick Cage. At least at this point in his career, he is choosing the most obvious choice for every line and does not dig any deeper.
1: What's interesting about the difference between Keanu and Cage is that I think that they're both looked at by the mainstream public as being quote-unquote bad actors, but I think Cage is just misunderstood. I think a lot of this early Keanu stuff, I don't think he's necessarily bad. I think that he's just in these things, the work around him is bad. He's been making these weird career decisions, and maybe it's just, you know, the struggles of a young actor trying to work his way into mainstream acceptance, but like, I don't think anybody here could really give a great performance. <laughs> I don't really want to give Keanu too much of a, like a break here, but like, what is his role? His role is to sort of be like this aimless angsty guy who, who draws information out of Sarah Jessica Parker, and who kind of says, Mom, what you're doing isn't cool. Like, what else? Like, there's <laughs> nothing else about the character. Like, that's that's it. Like, that's the entire thing he's doing.
2: It's true. I feel like the script mainly shines when the characters are on the same page. The two girls bantering back and forth, the wife and her lover, when they're kind of on the same page. That's when I was most interested in. is kind of unmoored from everybody, so that, that does kind of give him an uphill battle.
0: There's not a lot here for him to stretch for. I feel like he's playing it fine, but you're right, he's not really putting any real spin on it. I do still feel like he's doing it better than most people might, and I think it helps that he's actually on the beach in this movie because it kind of helps out with his accent a little more, you know, that, that sort of surfy kind of voice that he's got going on.
1: I'm struggling to come up with ways to describe things in here just because he's just reflective. Like there's nothing to his character. We see him the first time we see him, he's laying on his bed and his dad is calling long distance from Indianapolis at a time when long distance calls were expensive. He's like, I don't care. I don't want to talk to him. Life is meaningless. He's just a phony. I don't care how much my dad netted last year. And then he just sort of like mopes around. He mopes down the beach, passes out on the beach, mopes around like the most energy he has at any point in this show is maybe doing chores around the house or what i think we could probably do as a segment for all these things that we can only find on youtube like the part of the tv show where it's too dark to figure out what's going on like when he goes when he goes swimming at the end of it there's nothing else that he does he's just sort of there laying around and it's just boring to watch yeah
0: Yeah, it's strange, too, because he kind of wanders into the story of the other girls. It seems like Sarah Jessica Parker and her friend, who, by the way, I only recognize from Gremlins 2. She's the redhead executive girl in that movie. Only other place I've ever seen her. But it kind of seems like they're having a movie and they kind of just find Keanu on the beach and he comes like wanders into (laughs) their story. It feels weird because then it's just like, well, Keanu likes Sarah Jessica Parker more, even though he feels like it's easier to score with the redhead, and it almost becomes like, can he score with Sarah Jessica Parker? Um, And eventually he does and sort of helps bring her out of her shell, and then he's gone again, almost... Kind of magically so i think it might have helped if we had a little more keanu dealing with his issues on his own or maybe bringing more of his issues to the table when he meets the girls because it just seems like they're the focus mostly of the story
1: they are they're absolutely the focus but like i think this is where it sort of struggles from by being an adaptation of a play because the guy wants to remain true to the his his vision of the stage but like what does the impact of the mother have on these girls at all like i'd rather have this be like a half hour or you know like two separate things almost the way that everything's sort of together it doesn't fit within the tone of this i don't think
2: i mean i kind of feel like it was meant as something of a just a series of vignettes necess- like just connected by that common thread unfortunately keanu has to play the role of that thread which is awkward
0: <laughs> The only thing I could really stretch for is that it's the whole time it's Keanu dealing with women. So first he lives with his single mother and he's sort of like, who are you going out with tonight? Are you doing it? All that kind of stuff. And then he gets involved with these teenage girls or girls closer to his age. And you see that he wants to be more of the compassionate type of guy that is nice to women as opposed to the jerk that his dad is and the jerk that's dating his mom. So I think if I had to stretch for any kind of connection, it might be that.
2: Sorry, I, I got distracted. I realized I've, I've photographed Richard Greenberg before. Uh, oh. Yeah, he did an adaptation of Far From Heaven into a musical at Playwrights Horizons a few years ago, so I photographed him for that. I mean, I don't know. He's, he's definitely like a theater guy. If this is a play ab- about distancing and alienation from society, from what it means to be human and to struggle, there's a term in theater called the Werf from effect, the alienation. Ooh. Yeah, it's a Bertolt Brecht thing, and I feel like he's drawing upon this. The idea being in these plays to actually distance the audience from the play to make them realize they're watching a play. And I feel like this play was written in that style. Like, that's, that's why everyone talks so weird. And I think it just doesn't translate to film. I just think that's the main issue here.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. The trick with adaptation is straying from the source material. A book is different than a film, is different than a stage play, and you sort of have to tweak them each to fit into that medium. And it's tough when you want to be completely faithful to the material. You know, you kind of force it into the medium where it doesn't belong in a way. And I kind of get that. I do get that feeling here, right? Like I mentioned earlier, I think the way it's presented here would work much better like, the speaking, and, like, I think that would work fine on a on a stage, but, yeah, it it just doesn't feel natural in front of a camera like this on a beach, you know? They're in these natural settings, but they feel very artificial.
2: Which can be really nice yeah. on stage.
0: And I, And I can understand that being a style, you know, of translation, too, but it takes me out of it a little too much, you know? I would much rather feel like I'm just watching a story than watching a play being adapted to video. Yeah.
1: What's interesting about it is that when it begins, I think, there's, like, this sort of kinetic energy about the way that they talk. And, like, it sort of catches you off guard because it's not like what you see in TV or movies. And then once you're sort of settled into it, the the appeal or, like, the sort of the novelty of it wears off. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, oh, like, this is just where we're going to be for the next hour. (laughs)
3: Because
1: there there is, like, an excitement. And I think, you know, as I talked about or as we talked about a little bit earlier – the part that works the best is when the girls are together before they meet up with Keanu and they're just sort of back and forth and there's this real quick sort of repartee and like that's like a great way I think to start this out and then maybe it's the fact that the, the patter wears off or that it just sort of the energy is not like that for the rest of it. It's never as good as it is in the first couple minutes.
0: So tell me. Uh Oh, you'll die. I am bad. I am so bad. What did you do? Oh, you'll just die. What if I don't?
3: I'll be very disappointed. But it's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna. You went out to a layer fears. I went out because the little one, the girl? Mm-hmm, I know who you mean. Isolde? Hell, what kind of people name the kids Tristan and Isolde? And the dogs Brian and Susan? I mean... Your uncle. Uncle Andre. Andre Weingrad, as in Abe Weingarten. I mean, the whole family. So you went out to a layer fears? Because she thinks she sees the sea monster. I find out, I go there, I find out. The other kid? Tristan is Susan. Tristan, you believe that? name like that, he's going to have serious trouble dating.
0: Yeah, and I think it might be because the story isn't as heavy at that point, right? Like, everything's just lighter uh, all around. We haven't gotten into the deep subject matter yet once they start talking about why sarah jessica parker went to the asylum or you know how long they've been friends and who's really good for who it really kind of slows down and you just i do feel like you start to notice more like things just aren't really clicking and i do agree that it does start with this energy that it kind of just it just can't sustain it
2: how old is keanu meant to be i feel like he's probably college mm. age but he didn't mm. go to college because you didn't need to because he's rich
1: it also feels like the summer, like, is it the summer? I feel like this is sort of maybe, like, end of summer, like, you know, transition time, I where, like, say everything, summer. yeah, Yeah. because they say at the end, when they're sitting on the stoop, like, you know, oh, it's getting a little bit colder now, I feel like it's sort of just meant to be, like, that time of the year when things change, or mm. what have you.
2: Yeah, I was endlessly distracted by what, how, how old he, he was supposed to be, because he was acting like <laughs> a 16-year-old, but, like, they were into him, and they seemed to be, they seem to be older, were they older than him, or just more experienced? That's a good question. I don't know.
0: Yeah, they all seem to be pretty close to each other's age for me, which was like college age, which was between, you know, like 18 and 21. That's kind of the vibe that I got off of all the mm-hmm. people in here. But he's definitely kind of experienced. His mom mentioned something about some singer, some hippie or, something, or some folk singer <laughs> that he slept with, you know, so he's oh, had, right. he's had Miss McGill's tea before, and I believe he has it <laughs> during this movie off screen at some point as well.
1: Yeah my favorite part of the like it's, it's so stupid but like i just love how like sarah jessica roger calls him out on this but like my favorite part is when keanu tries to pick her up by basically just quoting the great gatsby yeah. and like trying to make it seem like this is his life and she's like no like immediately <laughs> like no time wasted at all she's like no i've read too like i know this great gatsby basically get out of my face
3: do you know before i came here i used to gaze up at this house i used to wonder about it There's a green light that burns all night at the end of your dock.
0: That's the goddamn Great Gatsby. I can read. Oh, you sensitive boys with your quotations. I don't trust you as far as I can throw you.
2: Well, there's like several of those elements. They remind you of like the existence of literature and plays and things (laughs) And that. I I feel like that's once again is this this Brechtian thing. They're like actually trying to draw you out of the play. They're they're actively trying to get you to snap out of it and, and realize that you're watching a play. Yeah, so like like naming the kids Tristan and Isolde, then immediately mentioning that they're named Tristan and Isolde. Isn't that hilarious and weird? Uh, naming the, both of the ladies Amy and then making a joke about it. Yeah, doing this, it's it seems very metatextual.
0: Yeah, the one time I thought it actually worked kind of nice and was really informative was when they first get to the beach and throw down their reading material. And one of them's got like a Vogue and the other's got this thick novel, you know. So you immediately <laughs> got like this one's shallow and this one's deep.
1: So the whole dynamic of their relationship is that we, – we talked about it earlier – is that Keanu not hooks up with, but, like, gets with these girls. He sort of collapses on the beach in front of them, and Amy Joy, who's the redhead, not Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay, so Sarah Jessica Parker, and it's not Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> so not Sarah Jessica Parker seems to, like – this is her family house, I think, right? Like, it's her, her family's place or whatever. No,
0: it's, it's not Sarah Jessica Parker's aunt and uncle's house, and she's babysitting okay. the kids while they're out right. in Paris.
1: Okay, cool. So she invites Keanu in to stay because this is her family home or her aunt and uncle's home, and she has the choice. And so then, as we talked about earlier, Keanu chooses to go Sarah Jessica Parker instead of the other one because he, that's he's more attracted to Sarah Jessica Parker, or whatever. Things happen; they all go on their separate way. Then at the end of the hour, Keanu is sitting on the front stoop with his mom, and she's like, "Oh, I saw that. You know, I saw those two girls or whatever that you were talking about." one of them was really pretty is that the one that you were with and he says no the other one and i'm just (laughs) like that's so that's Mm -hmm. so mean i caught a glimpse of them when i picked you up one of them looked very pretty no it was the other one oh because i mean i think that you know saratis carparker has a lot of jokes that we don't need to talk about on this podcast about her appearance or whatever. I think she, she's cute in this movie or this TV show. Yeah. And just to say like, oh no, it, it's I was with the ugly one, not the cute one. It's just like so blunt mm-hmm. and out of nowhere and I don't know if that's meant to be a dig or meant to be a joke or just supposedly the natural way that he talks about it but it just came off so jarringly
2: i feel like it might have been an acting decision i think a good actor could have more better conveyed the the idea that he understands that most people prefer the other one and that he just kind of is resentful of his mother for not understanding in implicitly not understanding that the one he likes is the is the prettier one
0: yeah i agree and i also feel like if they wanted to have like an ugly character, they should have done, they should have hired an ugly actress because yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker is attractive in this film, you know, but the character isn't supposed to be right. Like we learned that she clawed part of her face off and and needed plastic surgery and all kinds of reconstruction. And I feel like if we had just seen some of that, you know, a scar or something, a bandage, but instead Hmm. she's just, she looks really cute and pretty. And her friend is also very attractive. And it's like, yeah, this is a dilemma for Keanu. You know, a guy who can have whoever he wants. Now he needs to choose. I think if the story did a better job of explaining that she's supposed to be not as good looking, then that line might have worked a lot better. But I was also taken aback. I was like, whoa.
1: And what's happening, like, she's with this guy. And the guy, I think, like, Keanu isn't great at delivering the lines of this play. But... At the same time, I think that the guy that she's with is even worse at it, (laughs) that he just sounds like he's speaking like a playwright the entire time. It just doesn't work at all. Like, aside from the fact that I don't know why he's there really, or like his character, or care about it, I just don't think he's doing a good job. But aside from all of that, he leaves at the end of the summer, I guess this sort of was just like a summer fling, and the mom is just sitting on the stoop at the end, and Keanu's like, why'd he send you a picture of a bunch of men? And it's just, like, like I think that's another one that's, like, Zach's saying. It's just the line reading of that is just so weird. There's got to be some deeper reason. Like, you know, she's like, oh, it's, like, something that they talked about or whatever. But just the way that he asks a question is just like, oh, like, this is weird.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there was some story behind that picture, right? There's like a significance, something about them. They're all um, gigolos now or something, right? I think that's (laughs) what I got from it. So it was sort of like also supposed to be this inside joke between her and the guy she was having an affair with. Like, oh, I'm not around anymore, but here's a bunch of guys. Like, maybe you could call one of them instead. And it almost, to me, felt like this dig against the mother, and she's realizing, yeah, that guy was an asshole, and I'm glad he's gone now, and maybe I just need to spend some more quality time with my son, who's an actual nice man, and I can raise him to be the kind of guy that respects women.
1: Or at the very least, she spends time with her son, who speaks more quickly than everybody else around like that's like the one thing that she misses like <laughs> mm-hmm. when he comes back like has to pick up some clothes or whatever she's just like everyone around here just speaks so
0: slowly like i've missed you and just like okay like that's that's your problem it's that people <laughs> talk too slowly well, you know what's crazy too is how the passage of time is conveyed in this movie i it feels like keanu has gone for one night and they're like you've been here five days I was like, what? Five days? And then he goes home and she's like, where have you been for a week? I'm like, what is going on? They're in some kind of time warp. Like this whole thing takes place over the course of the entire summer, I think. I could be wrong, but judging by how people in the movie tell time, hours or days. It's just really crazy.
2: I think we're missing a few lights down,
1: lights up moments.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Or just, like, any kind of moments. Like, this is the thing. I feel
1: like this is just, like, an awkward amount of time. Mm. Like, an hour. If it was half an hour and you sort of just picked one or the other, I think it would work better. I think it was a full two hours. Not that I would necessarily want to see a full two-hour version of this. But if it was a full mm. two hours, I think that would have worked better, too. It's just, as it stands now, it's this awkward middle ground where, like, you have enough time to tell part of a story. But not enough of a story that makes the rest of it make sense. Mm.
0: It almost feels like story is kind of coming secondary. It's more about kids dealing with emotions that they're not ready for in a way, or just these three different young adults, their different outlooks on the world. And are they going to change? And what is their future going to be like? So like halfway through this, I didn't really expect any narrative conclusion, but I knew that there was going to be emotional growth and character changing like that. And I think that you get that much more with this type of material.
1: I think that's all I have to say about it. I mean, I don't really have anything else. It sort of teases that it could be visually interesting, but it's not. It was directed by a guy who never directed anything else, I <laughs> think, in his entire career. I think he, he produced this and, like, one other episode of American Playhouse. And the guy who wrote this, who wrote the screenplay for this and wrote the play it was based on... Also wrote another episode of American Playhouse. So like, I guess this was like a great platform, maybe, for playwrights to get their work out to like a broader audience, maybe outside of New York.
2: I think I read a few things about this that suggested that.
0: It kind of reminds me of when I go to the movies now and I see the ads for Fathom events and, you know, you could go to the theater and watch the opera. And so it kind of seems like back when they were making these, it's like for people who can't get exposed to theater and plays and don't live in major cities, we'll make this video series for them and they can pick them up at their local library and maybe get a little culture that way. I had one more note. I remember after we did the One Step Away episode, we sort of had some questions about the funding for that, how it was funded by the country of Canada, basically. And we got some (laughs) literature from Lindsay Gibb about how Canada's film board funds a lot of the arts and things like that. And for this movie, I actually was able to get a VHS copy off eBay for a couple bucks from the Los Angeles Public Library. And uh, at the beginning of it, it shows sort of all the sponsors who put up the funding for this. And you have PBS, you have the Corporation for Public Broadcast, you have National Endowment for the Arts, and then you also have the Chubb Insurance Group. And I just remember the Chubb Institute, I remember hearing about them a lot growing up. And so I almost feel like this is in a way how America arts get funded as opposed to like other countries, you know, we don't really get money from the government, but we get like these special interest groups that are able to fund productions like this. Hmm.
2: The presentation of American Playhouse is made possible by the nation's public television stations, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Endowment for the Arts, and by the Chubb Group of insurance companies. For over 100 years, providing business and personal insurance worldwide through
1: independent agents and brokers. Because Canada seems to really care about the art that they put out, and they sort of want their country to be known for this. And we're just like, like I feel, you know, nobody makes more TV or movies than America. And we're just like, oh, just figure it out on yourself. Like we we can't be, we can't be bothered to give you money. Like just either go through the system or find your own money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it would be incredible if there was, like, government-mandated funding for the arts and stuff. And then, you know, maybe we could have gotten an hour and a half of this instead of an hour. You
1: know? Well, you know, if, <laughs> if we do get extra funding for something, let's not spend the money on this. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go somewhere else. Let's get something else to be a little bit more creatively fulfilled. Zach, anything else about American Playhouse Life Underwater that you wanted to talk about? Nothing I can think of. Well, thank you very much for joining us. You will be back in just a couple episodes for, I think, another quick one. This is one of our – like, Keanu's been in a bunch of movie movies lately. Early in his career, we're doing these shorter podcast episodes. This one's not too long, but the next one will be even shorter for just one sketch on The Tracy Ullman Show. Mm-hmm. So we'll see you soon, Zach. For all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com cageclub. Find all the episodes that we've done. You can figure out what's coming next all sorts of podcasting needs at cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub. I'm Joey Lewandowski
0: and I'm Mike Manzi
1: and that was Zach Dazon and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club.